Hello and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. This is Tito Sotolongo, your podcast pastor, as well as pastor at tabernacleofgod.church. My purpose is to help you find faith in Christ and follow through in your life. And this past Sunday, I started a new series. It's called The Devil Wears, and it's Unmasking Temptation. So here in this series, we are exposing the lies of the enemy so that we can learn how to truly enjoy life, which is something that I know, hey, I care about and I know you care about too. So this week, I'm going to talk about why we tend to get caught up in the devil's traps and how we can avoid being the same old us in this new year. So let's get started. First Sundays of the year are honestly one of my like top three Sundays. Because I really feel that what God does on first Sunday of the year really dictates and sets the tone for the whole year. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? Because I had this whole thing of, yo, hey, 2020 vision for your life and all that, which, hey, no shade on any church who's doing that. that. That's just where I was, right? Yo, 2020 vision for your life, you know, new year, new you, boo-boo, all that, all that was me, right? That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. And I'm like, you know what, though? Okay. Really felt God was saying, hey, which is fine, okay, new year, new you. But here, here's the problem that that weighed on my heart because it's happened to me. I guarantee you it's happened to you. Listen, it's a, it, it could be, it is actually a new year, but it's going to be the same old you if you still fall for the same old plays of the enemy. Okay? New year, same old you if you still fall for the same things. So in January, we want to start the series called The Devil Wears, and it's unmasking all temptation and masking things. He wears a mask to make us and to hide the truth and help us to not see certain things. And so we're going to go after him this whole month, and we're going to unmask, and we're going to pull all that back to see what we have in God. Because if we want a clear vision for your life, you need a clear vision of God. And you also need a clear vision of the enemy's strategies in your life. Because if you don't, can't see God. You can't see God, you can't see you. It's still going to be the same old you. Boo-boo. Sorry. Okay? This is going to be it. That's the thing. But anyways, uh, 2020 is cool. Everybody's infatuated. Have you, have you not seen over and over again? Already all the, the, the 1920s, the Roaring 20 memes and, and stuff, right? We went, it, was not, it was 2019. I went to the Roaring 20s party. It was awesome. It was so much fun, right? And so that's kind of the thing, right? And so I even saw, which was so cool, I saw a passion conference, which is a huge conference that is over in Atlanta every year. And this year, it was 65,000 college age and teenagers Ringing in the new year at Mercedes-Benz Stadium over at Atlanta, 65,000. And you know what the whole theme is? I love that. I was like, man, I wish I thought of that first. He's like, hey, if there's going to be the, a new roaring 20s, we want to hear the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of God roar in this next 10 years. I love that. I wish I came up with it first and could have trademarked that. But it was so good. So good. But I don't know if you've heard it. You've heard of that term, right, roaring 20s? Okay. You guys know why it was called the Roaring Twenties back in the 1920s? Mainly because the economy was roaring like never before. All right? This was, America was, you know, a couple hundred years in. And, I mean, it was unprecedented growth. I mean, a cool dude. If, if, if you want a cool president to check out, yo, Calvin Coolidge, man, cool cow. That guy was great. And so Calvin Coolidge, in the, he was a president during that time, did amazing things, amazing tax cuts, so many stuff. And the economy blew up. So much so that literally these 10 years, with so many things happened, revolutionary things happened in that time. We call it the Roaring Twenties because, man, the stock market had never gone up the way it did. There was innovation after innovation. There's things that you have and you enjoy right now 
because it started and somebody came up with it in the 1920s, like the refrigerator and things like that, to a certain extent, our modern ones and so many other things. It's crazy. But hold on, though. They only call it the Roaring Twenties for a reason because it only lasted in the Twenties. Anybody who's a history buff knows what happened after, well, especially I think it was October 1929. It was the Great Depression. How did we go from the Roaring Twenties to the Great Depression like that? Well, here's why. There's a lot of reasons, but I'm going to give it to you because there's an important history, little lesson here that I do not want you, I don't want that kind of history to repeat in your life. Because it happens all the, it, and you know what? It probably already happened more than once. And I don't want that to keep happening on purpose. Here's why the Roaring Twenties, one reason why. Super complicated why. But one of the biggest reasons that I could say is this, that the whole, everybody's life, their lifestyle was built on a lie. Everyone's lifestyle was built on a lie. They would say things like, oh, man, the, the, you know, the economy is booming. It's never going to go down. It's just going to be up and up and up and up and up forever. It's, we're never gonna, it's gonna always be summer. The sun will always be bright. We are never gonna have a problem again. Do you hear that lie? So people were making reckless decisions with their finances. And then get, the people got greedy. They're like, wow, people got more money to spend than ever. So let's just produce and produce and produce. And these companies overproduced. They had more things that you can buy than people who wanted to buy them. And so then these companies went out of business because they overproduced, they got too greedy. And then you had a bunch of other people, lifestyles like, oh, man, we're, and like the rich became uber rich. And, uh, and then, you know, even some of the bottom class, they, you know, there was a lot of big separation between the rich and the poor. But even the bottom class, there was things that were being developed that was impacting everybody. And everybody's like, yo, what I need is I need the new. I need what's better. I need the this. I need the that to be happy because I see it. I see them with their parties and with their great Gatsby's and all this stuff. I was like, yo, that's what I want. That's what, and so the, everyone's lifestyle was built on a lie. And then in 1929, it was exposed. And when the lie, when everyone saw, oh, okay, here's, we're in debt. Well, we don't have this. We don't have that. Then it was a panic. And the panic led to a great depression. Here's the, here's the truth that I need y'all to grab onto. Because this has happened to me. It's happened to you. A lifestyle built on a lie will always lead to a great depression. A lifestyle built on a lie is always going to lead you, let you down at some point. Always. Always. And we, that's what, one of the things that we need to tackle because there's something that the enemy is going to get us to view and he's going to get a lie for us to buy. And here's the thing. If you buy a lie from the enemy, I'm sorry, he's not going to give refunds. Okay? You can buy a lie from the devil and the devil's going to be like, oh, so sorry. You know, close up shop. Okay. Lifetime guarantee. I was like, where are you? Oh, we out of business. Okay. That's the devil. You cannot get a refund when you buy a lie from him. So it's better to know what the truth is. And, and that's the thing. Is that it's one thing if it's, I mean, we already have one person, the devil himself and all these demons trying to fool us. But, man, I mean, you and I, we're our own worst enemies, right? I mean, how often have you ever fooled yourself? Right? You ever fooled yourself and be like, yo, man, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. Boom. Uh-oh. Oh, I can handle it. It's just a little. I'm just fine with like, uh-oh. Right? We fool ourselves all the time. And that's, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I know I say this a lot because I still can't believe it. Human beings have the amazing superpower to lie to yourself. And you know you're lying to yourself. And you then believe your own lie. Right? Think about that. He's like, you know what? That's a good idea. I know, right? Right? Bro, you're so good. I know. Thank you. You, you look Right? That's us. 
That is us. Uh, left alone, we fool ourselves so easily. But you need to understand, though, that the enemy knows that. So if he can get, if he can fool you with something, he just leaves you on autopilot. Because if he can help you to buy this lie, if he can fool you to buy the lie, you're going to keep fooling yourself. And he doesn't have to touch you. He just leaves you on autopilot. You're just on, on loop. And so that's the thing, guys. Listen, that God has something for us. And the enemy tries to. The enemy's going to try to put up all these masks to keep us from God. In fact, one of the things that we're going to look at over this whole series is enjoying God. Do you know that we are called? God commands us in his word right here to enjoy him, to have fun following him. You know that's what he wants? That's what he expects? That's what the whole deal is? But the, what happens, though, is that the devil will come up with a lie. And a lie usually will be something good. And that good thing, he'll try to get you just to settle on that good thing. Or to think that that good thing is enough. And hopefully he'll get you to understand that good thing is enough that you forget about God. And that's what we want to pull off today. Because the lie from the enemy is this. Hey, psst, you can enjoy life without Jesus. That's a lie. You can enjoy life without Jesus. And I'm sorry to tell you, you can't. You may think, you're like, no, man, hold on, but I don't do the Jesus thing, and my life's pretty decent. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. It's like, what if the thing that you enjoy is mediocre compared to what God has for you? C.S. Lewis has a great quote. He says, human beings, we are too easily satisfied. We are too easily satisfied. He says, you, we settle and we are okay with having a summer in the slum because we cannot imagine what a summer at the beach looks like. That's huge right there. Because we can't imagine what a life with God sometimes looks like. We settle for slums. We settle for something so much less. And the lie is that you can enjoy life without Jesus. And I'm here to say, no, you can't. And in fact, there's something. It's to enjoy life without Jesus. It's like I invite you over to my house. I'm like, hey, you want to enjoy a meal at my house? And then you sit down. You got the napkin, right? You get the napkin on your, you know, tuck that in, and you get the forks and the knives and the cups. I'm like, enjoy the meal, but there's no food on the plate. Can you enjoy a meal without food? No. In the same way you can't enjoy the meal without food, you can't enjoy life without Jesus. You can't truly enjoy life without Jesus. And in fact, God gives us four things that we're going to look in the book of Romans. Four things that God gives us to help us understand, to show us how we can enjoy life with Jesus. And the first one is this. God gives us clues. God gives us clues to learn how to enjoy him and to know him. Check it out. Romans 1. We're going to start in 18 through 20. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness, here's a key phrase, what do they do? They suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood that through him what is made, and as a result, people are without excuse. Now this is a, that last phrase, people are without excuse. Have you ever wondered what would happen to somebody who died, who never heard the gospel, who never heard about Jesus? Anybody with me on that? I, I, I struggle with that one. What happens to someone who died and never heard the gospel? 
what's, what's it going to be there? I mean, I went, as far, I went as far as this. I'm saying, God, the day, I mean, there's people who died before knowing that Jesus was coming. There's people who died on the other side of the world. They didn't know a Messiah was coming. Oh, I'll give it better. Jesus, the day you died, somebody on the other side of the world died. And they didn't know you were dying. I got it better. All right. Somebody died during the three days that Jesus was dead. And they didn't know that Jesus rose from the grave. Catch me? So what happens to those people who didn't know? Well, John, I mean, uh, Paul and, and others we see in the scriptures, Paul literally talks about this in, in, in another section. Let me just give you a quick short answer here. We are all judged based on how we respond to what we've received. God's fair. God's a good God. God will judge us based on how we respond to what we've received. I am sorry I made your judgment day a little more difficult, okay, because you're here. And you hear about Jesus, and you have no, uh, Jesus, I didn't know. Let's play it back. Let's, let's look at the playback real quick. It was like, I'm sorry, I'm making judgment day difficult for you. But that's the reality of it. And so here he is saying that God gives us clues in creation, clues everywhere for us to see and observe. And Paul says the word evident. Have you ever heard even in, the, in the, our founding documents, like there says, and we hold these truths to be self-evident. Like there's just things that are plain as day. Like it doesn't need explaining. We can see it. I mean, I love it. I mean, I know there's things that are out in the world and in science that are super complex. But what kills me is when somebody says, listen, you know, no, we don't believe that there is such a thing as a God and all this stuff. But, but we see how the world is finely tuned and, and look at everything, how it developed and how it grew, natural selection, all these things. And then with you push a few far enough and they go and say, well, there's a couple things we can't explain, but maybe aliens. I'm like, guy. I'm like, you want to go that far to say, could we, what about God? Nah, nah, God, I'm good. Aliens, though. Aliens, killing me, bro. You're killing me on that. But, you know, here's the, here's the reason why. Why do we do that? Did you see what he said a minute ago? We, because of our unrighteousness, we do what? We suppress the truth. We suppress the truth. There's a, look, I've done this, and I, I still have to be careful because I, I have the tendencies, and we all do. When God tells us the truth, and our tendency, the, our flesh side, is to suppress it. Is to ignore, like, no, no, I didn't hear anything. No, I, I, I'm not seeing anything. No, 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 uh, no, 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 God. Uh, no. And do you know what suppressing the truth is? I've, all, I've done this. I know you've done this. Who's ever been in a pool or in the beach and you had, like, a beach ball and you try to, like, sit on it? You ever do one of those? Right? You're trying to balance it and, like, and some are harder than others, right? You, you push a beach ball down. And now as you push a beach ball down, what does the beach ball want to do? It wants to pop back up, right? You ever do one of those, try to stand on it or sit on it? Well, what, that's suppressing it. Look, that's what we do when we, when God, and we're confronted with truth all around us. There's clues in all creation. There's even those uh, people who would say, man, as we study nature, we can study and learn elements of who God is in nature, which is true. And so, but when we suppress the truth, it was like, no, nah, I don't want to hear it. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. But the truth wants to pop up. The truth wants to be revealed. God wants us to understand. Yet us, our tendency is to, nope, I'm not here. No, I don't want to, nope. And a lot of times, because for us to acknowledge there's a God, what's the next logical question? Well, if I believe there's a God, then what does God want from me? What does God ask from me? If this is his world and I'm just living in it, what's the rules I got to play by? It's easier for some people to say, no, no God. 
I set the rules. You see that? I don't want to believe in a God because I do not want to lose control. Like you ever had it to begin with, you know? But that's what we do. We suppress the truth. Even there's clues all around us. And you want me to give you a clue? Here's a clue. The clue is in you. There's a clue inside of you. You know what that clue is? The feeling of right and wrong. You know, a kid can grow up and have that feeling of right and wrong. And what does, and if you right now, if you did something that was wrong, and you know it's wrong for you, what do you feel? Guilty and shame. You feel guilty. What is guilt? Guilt is a reminder you fell short of a standard. Guilt is you did not do what was right. And if there is such a thing as right and wrong, then who set? If, the, if there's a law of right and wrong, that means there's a lawgiver. There's a clue inside of you. And we cannot find ourselves. See, before finding Jesus, this is what we do. We want to suppress the truth. We don't want to believe. We don't want to do. We suppress everything. Yet God gives us these clues to help us because when we see it, when instead of suppressing the truth, we confess the truth, we find a life. We find the things that we're trying to find somewhere else and we're fighting against God himself. What I love about that is that we're trying to fight God and God's fighting for us. He's fighting for us, fighting to get our attention, and yet we fight in him. But that's God, though. God gives us clues. Here's another thing. God gives us opportunities. Look at the next phrase. Verse 21. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless. And their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, reptiles. I know y'all have seen little, you know, things like that. I'm like, all right, well, hey, pastor, I, I don't got any little, little, you know, animals or little shapes that I have like that. I don't do that. I'm like, no, nah, well, it's different. You know, maybe you're, maybe that God that we have is a person. Might not an image of a person. Well, hey, you know what? When, when me and Alicia used to date, this was, this was stalker scary, okay? I'm, sorry, I'm outing myself. When we were 15 years old, first girlfriend ever, all right, the more things that we did, the more experiences that we had and dates and here and that, I kept all these little mementos and stuff like that. Literally within three months, I had a shrine, okay? It was literally a shrine. If she would have seen in my room, it was on top of the dresser, if she would have walked in and seen that, I'm single, okay? For like, she would like, I'm calling the cops. This isn't right. This, no. I mean, okay, look, granted, I didn't sacrifice animals, pour it a little. I didn't have candles. I didn't do that, okay? I didn't go that far. But it was literally a shrine. Like, I built one. I mean, uh, Hispanics, have you ever seen some of those, right, little shrines that people have in the corners and stuff? And That was it. Same thing. We have that tendency to idolize people and to acknowledge people. We have that tendency, even with, for some of you, it's you. Sorry, it's you. You look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You, it's you. It's like, man, I'm successful. It's your career. It's your this. It could be your looks. It could be so much. It could be, you know, your status. It could be your money. It could be your, you know, your position or whatever. There's so many. It could be your objects, your house, your car, your bank account. There's so many things. Okay? So many objects are hobbies. There's some of us that your hobby is your God. It's what it is, it is what you live for. It's what gives you worth. It's what gives you meaning to life. Now, all of these things I mentioned are all good. They're not bad. They are good. But you see where the enemy tries to get you? It's like, hey, just this is enough for you, dude. This is good. This is good. It's like saying, no, we are trading 
we are trading the glory of God, knowing God, enjoying God. Rather, we just want to enjoy stuff. You see the difference? We settle. Instead of enjoying our Savior, we just want to enjoy stuff. That's a tendency, even if you're a Christian. Let me just warn y'all. Some of y'all, yep, tell them, Pastor. I was like, man, I'm talking to you too, okay? I'm talking to you too because even as believers, we have the same thing, same struggles that we go through. But look, all of these things. Oh, and by the way, did you see what he happens here? The more you suppress the truth, did you see how Paul described his mind? Senseless heart, his darkened mind. Guys, let me warn you real quick. The more you suppress the truth, the easier it becomes to suppress the truth. And the easier it becomes to suppress the truth, you know why? The easier it gets to ignore God, the harder it is to find him. The harder it is to hear him. You can't say, God, uh, nah, I don't know, nah, but Jesus, help me answer my prayers. But blah, 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 blah. The more you reject and suppress the truth, the harder it is to hear it. And if you can't hear it, you can't believe it, you can't believe it, you can't obey it, you're not obeying it. You see what I'm saying? That's our tendency. Our minds, our thinking gets worse. The more we make bad decisions, the faster we make bad decisions, okay, if we don't correct it. And this is something, but God gives us opportunities, though, to enjoy him. But notice, what did he say? They did not glorify God or have gratitude. You know what that's saying? It's like saying God gives us all of these things. He's the promotion, the job, the relationship, or the, the answer prayer. He does all these things, not so you can enjoy it, but so you can see him and then understand him and appreciate him. Find joy in him, in his heart, in his face, not in his hand. But the thing is that the more we reject the truth, we don't glorify God. We're not grateful towards God. In essence, here's what we do is we're like a child who yells at their parents and says, man, look, forget you. But fun to me. That's who we become. We look to God. I'm like, forget you, God, but hey, fund me, though. I don't want a relationship with you, but look, I need $20 to go to the movies. Right? Forget you and dinner. I need 30 bucks to go and eat dinner with my kids or my friends. You see what I'm saying? That, that's what we do. That's what we have to be careful with. Because when we enjoy all of the good things of this world, and yet we don't, we're not grateful towards God. You are settling for something horribly less. Again, none of us would want a kid who did that, right? Who did had none or no relationship, but they want to enjoy the money and the house and all the things we buy them, but they show zero appreciation. Now, listen, th though some of us would be like, okay, go get a job, right? Some of us would be different. Some of us would, would do that. But God, he continues to give us opportunity after opportunity, clue after clue. To open our eyes. But here's, here's probably the hardest thing that God gives us to teach us to, to understand and to enjoy life. God gives us up. God will give us clues. God gives us opportunity. But here's the scary one. God will give us up. Look what Paul says in this next one. Because we suppress the truth, because our thinking becomes dark, because our hearts become senseless, because God is like, God, I don't want you. I don't want you. I don't want you. At one point, God is going to be like, if that's what you want, then okay. Guys, listen, do you know that you get out of life what you want? You get out of life what you put into it, but you get out of life what you want. If you don't want God, God's fine. He's not going to force it. You get what you want. But look what he says. Therefore, God delivered them over. He gave them up. He gave them up. It's like, look, you want, you want what the devil has for you? Then if that's what you want, I'll give it to you. It's not what I want for you, but if that's what you want, 
I'll give it for you. Why would he do that? God delivers them up for the desires of their hearts, sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among them. They exchanged the truth of God for what? A lie. The, the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served what was created instead of the creator, who is praised forever. I love that statement on Paul's day. Look, God's going to get his praise. What matters is it's going to come from you. God's going to get his praise, but it's going to come from you. That's a key one there. But look at that. God gives us up. He, do you know that he does that? Do you know that he does that? He's saying, look, oh, if you want that lifestyle, if you want to keep living like that, you want to keep thinking like that, then fine. I will let you experience the full weight of the consequences of that lifestyle. And the reason why God does it is not because he's bitter. It's not because he's upset. He hopes that if you feel the full weight of hell on earth, you'll wake up before you spend eternity in hell. If that's the lifestyle you're going to live, then fine. I will give you up. You want it? Have it. And hopefully, though, the goal, his desire is that we wake up. He gives us up in order to help us to wake up. He's like, God, why is this happening to me? Why am I doing What's going on? And he's like, it's what you wanted. This is what you wanted, and now this is what you get. You made your bed, you kind of, right? This is what you wanted. I'm not doing anything. I was trying to, but you know what? Here I am. And here's, and <laughs> look at this interesting thing. I had to read it. He says, we traded the glory of God for a lie, right? In Isaiah, it's almost 800 years before Paul ever said these words. God is giving the prophet Isaiah. He's trying to talk to Israel who's tr doing the same thing, who's settling for stuff and ignoring their God. And they're doing things and they don't understand what they're doing. In fact, he goes through this whole long story of somebody who takes a block of wood, chops it in half, takes one block, cooks breakfast over it, cooks his meal over it. Then he takes the other block and carves an animal or carves some image and bows down before that block of wood and before that image and says, save me for you're my God. And Paul, and, uh, and here Isaiah is I'm reading in 1920, says no one comes to his senses. No one has the perception or the insight. No one can realize how they have fooled themselves. No one can come to the understanding and say, okay, let me pause for a second. I burned half of it in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I, ra I roasted meat and ate. Should I make something detestable with the rest of it? Should I bow down? To a block of wood. First of all, you think about that. If you're bowing down to a block of wood that's your God, what did you do with the other half? You burned it. Okay? It's like, yep, that's the God's brother, right? That's, that's the other half of him. And then you're like, oh, but save me. Okay, dude, no, he's going to kill you if that's for real. Like, look what you did to me, right? And so that don't make sense. Look at verse 20. This person, he feeds on ashes. Guys, this is a heavy man. His deceived mind has led him astray. He cannot rescue himself. I'm just reading this to you. Don't worry about it if you don't have it. He cannot rescue himself. Look at this last statement. He cannot rescue himself or say, is there a lie in my right hand? Look at that statement. That, that was 800 years before, 3,000 years ago. He's being so silly and he's like, he can't even realize and he can't even pause long enough to process. Is there a lie in my right hand right now? And guys, I want you to pause for a minute and reflect. First Sunday of the year, is there a lie in your heart? Is there a lie in your heart? Is there a lie that the enemy has planted in your heart that is keeping you? Why am I seeing the same cycle in my life? There's a lie there somewhere, yo. If you're still seeing the same cycle, there's a lie somewhere. 
There's a lie somewhere. You're still bought into something at the core that is causing you to keep and stay in this cycle. There's a lie somewhere there. And you can't say, look, this guy, no one can save themselves. We can't save ourselves. God will give us up. But here's the thing. God will never give up on you, though. Okay? Pause that. God will give us up if that's what we want, but he will never give up on you. Because I said there's four things that God gives us. He gives us clues. He gives us opportunities. He gives us up. But the last one is the best one. He gave us the gospel. He gave us the gospel. In Romans, uh, last verse of the day, Romans 1.16, man. 116, he says, Paul says, I am, un, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. To everybody who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For everybody, Jew and Greeks, meaning Jew and everybody. This is not restricted to a culture and a language and a style or a cuisine. It's about a new kingdom and a new people. Like saying, we have the gospel. God gives us the gospel to show us how to enjoy life because we could not rescue ourselves because we cannot rescue ourselves. Jesus came to rescue us. I told you, he might give us up. He doesn't give up on us, but in order to rescue us, Jesus gave himself up. He gave himself up for us. He gave himself up so that we can be found. And he says this great statement. Paul says, look, I am not ashamed. In fact, listen, gratitude, I put the statement here, gratitude glorifies God. That's the problem that, the, that they had, right, that Paul was saying. God gives us opportunities, yet we don't glorify him. Why? Because we're not grateful. Why are we not grateful? Because either we don't believe it or we suppress the truth long enough. But he says, look, I'm not ashamed to tell you. And I know this is a weird for him to say. It's, it's very weird. Like, look, hey, I'm writing to you, Christians in Rome, you know, the Romans. I'm going to write to you. I haven't met you. I did not establish this church. I just know that you guys have a church there. I want to meet you guys. But listen, I'm here to tell you, I am unashamed to tell you the gospel. I am unashamed of the gospel. To th by the way, you know what the gospel says? That we're all sinners and Jesus is our Savior. I am unashamed to tell you, you have a problem. I am unashamed to tell you that without Jesus, you can't find life. And I am not ashamed to tell you that some Jew you never met died on the cross for you without you asking for it. And for whatever reason, that was enough. And three days later, he rose from the grave, and now your sins can be forgiven. I know that sounds crazy. It does. It's, uh, it, but he said, I am not ashamed to tell you these things. And guys, look for us. That if you want to find joy in your life, man, right there. You know, if, if that's probably one of, one of the, if the enemy will get us to do this, look, number one. If you're not a believer, he's going to try to get you to enjoy everything in life so you lose your life. Enjoy your money, enjoy your house, enjoy your relationship. You, you're constantly pursuing everything. He'll get you to love your life, but as you, as you love your life, you'll end up losing it if you don't have life in Christ. But what about a Christian, though? I think this is the one right here, man. Shame. If the devil can't keep you from having life in Christ, he'll try to, if you're a believer here, tell me I'm wrong. He'll try to get you to be ashamed, ashamed of the gospel. Like, no, man, I don't want to say I'm a Christian. You know, people are going to think I'm weird. People are going to, I don't want to be outed. You're ashamed of the gospel. Or worse yet, look, man, I can't enjoy, I can't enjoy my life with Jesus because I'm ashamed of the kind of Christian that I am. I'm ashamed that. I might do this and do that, and, and, and I still mess up from here. And there. I'm ashamed. And if you're ashamed, you, you're not going to glorify God. You're not going to have any gratitude because you 
feel bad about yourself. Right? You feel bad about yourself. And listen, that's a lie from the enemy. Because Paul in the same book says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who believe. There is no shame. You're, if you fall and you're a believer, you don't, okay, pick yourself up, you know, brush it off. Yes, you fell. But come back and say, but God covered that sin. Like that, every sin, every step, every failure. Listen. There are too many Christians who when they fall or when they mess up, they stay down unnecessarily. Unnecessarily, they stay down for too long in shame. But no, if you're a Christian and you have an off day, a bad day or whatever it was, let that fault be a reminder that God forgave you of that sin already and that should lead you to gratitude. And that gratitude leads you to glorify God. That gratitude leads you to glorify God and to enjoy God. And I love that John Piper has this great quote. He says this, God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. Pause that, guys. Listen. God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. When you realize, Jesus, you're enough for me. That I, have, I might have my car, but if I lose my car tomorrow, I don't lose my joy. You see that? Like I might have a bank account. I might have a job, but if I lose that job, I, I don't lose my joy. Now, I can have a relationship with somebody that's meaningful. And if that, I lose that person, I, I don't lose my joy. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you can't, it don't hurt. Okay, yes, it hurts. But you have this, um, uh, Christians have this amazing ability in the Holy Spirit to grieve and be joyful at the same time. Because it's God in us. It's God in us. He, that's what he wants from us. The enemy does not want you to enjoy your life. So he'll either cut you off from Jesus altogether or he'll get you so ashamed that you don't want to declare you don't want to do anything no man look gratitude is leads you to glorify your God and it's pausing long enough to understand what do you have in him and listen when we when we under when we follow God God wants us to have fun when we follow God he wants us to when we follow God because of gratitude you know what you're going to do automatically you're going to go find somebody else God's going to move you. He's going to move you to find someone else. When you follow God, the natural consequence is that you find someone else to help follow you. And why do you follow God? Why do you find others? Because you have been found. Because God saved you. And you are forever grateful and you'll never lose sight of the cross. As believers, some of us are suppressing the truth of the cross too much. Listen, I know we sang a minute ago. Uh, you know, reckless love, you did it, I don't deserve it. And I think we, like, beat ourselves up way too much. Don't. Yes, you don't deserve it, but don't mean you got to be like, I feel better about myself. You know, just, man, get it. Get it, because God wants you to enjoy yourself, not feel bad or sorry because you didn't deserve it. None of us do. He wants us to enjoy our life, and, be, and we find it in him. So I'm going to challenge you, please. I'm going to lead you in a minute. We're going to wrap up doing something. I want to give you a second to glorify God and be grateful for what he's done for you. But outside of that, I want you to ask. Listen, every great, if you build your life on a lie, it's going to let you down. Every great, every, every, you know, lie will lead you to a great depression. So I want you to pause and ask, Jesus, help me. Do I want the lie or do you want life? You can't have both. You can't hold on to the lie. And have life in Christ. I heard Pastor Robert Morris says, there's a lot of people who aren't finding others. There's a lot of people who are not finding other Christians because they're not following. 
If you're not finding someone, it's because you're not following. And if you're not following, it's because you've forgotten that he found you. You've forgotten. So remember. Pull out. I'm, I'm unmasking the lie of the enemy that, yes, you can enjoy life, but you need Christ. And you can enjoy life because Jesus gave his life for you. When you have him, you have all that you need. Really pray this message really hits your heart. And I want you to do something about it. All right, so this week I want you to pray and ask God if you are suppressing any truths. And if you are, then pray and ask him to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you and say, Lord, help me get the hands off the ball so it just pops up, smacks me in the face. All right, I want you to do it this week because I do not want you to settle for a lie when you can have life in Christ. So thanks for listening. Be sure to check back as we're going to continue this series as I talk about how we can live by faith and have fun with money. All right, so remember, be a revolutionary. See God change the world as you revolve your life around Christ and shine your light in the darkness. God bless. See you next week.